The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie and the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 30 A Field for the Fallen When Penelope reached the fort, the first thing she noticed was the smell of flowers, and when she looked out, she saw everywhere there were wildflowers, waving gently back and forth in the light summer breeze. It seemed like they had sprouted from every inch of available dirt, even from the top of the battlements. The fort was covered in them. Ajax drove the cart at a full gallop almost the entire way. He didn't slow until he came up behind the rest of his unit they had left in the morning, and though he didn't ride quite as quickly, he still passed the unit and rode ahead of them so that it was Penelope and Ajax who reached the fort first. Penelope was there as the new unit entered the fort for the first time. She saw the men that had fallen, some of them into what must have been mud at the time. Now they just seemed like people lying amongst a field of flowers. There were chamomile, ragleaf, and verbena growing all around them, and they just lay there staring up at the sky. The new unit trampled over the flowers as they moved through the fort, picking up the fallen soldiers and placing them carefully into carts to take them back east. The shops surrounding the fort were either closed or missing, and the merchants that would normally be running the market seemed absent. But in the distance, among the wildflowers, sitting under a tree, was a man and a woman having a picnic. They were watching the fort and the soldiers. Penelope walked the distance between them, enjoying the light breeze and the beautiful flowers. But as she approached, she could see them better. She stopped. She put her hand over her heart to feel it beating. She held her breath, and then let it out again, to be sure she still could. She looked at the man, and in a voice loud enough to be heard from the distance, she asked, "'Am I dead?' "'No,' said Hades. "'Why does everyone always assume that they're dead every time they meet me? "'It kind of makes me sad, you know. It hurts a little.' Persephone fed Hades a grape and replied, "'To be fair, you rarely come up to socialize with people unless they're dead.' Fair, said Hades. Come, little acolyte, have some food with us, Persephone gestured to indicate the picnic. Penelope walked up to the blanket that they had laid out and sat carefully on the corner of it, opposite them. There were fruits and nuts and all kinds of delicious-looking vegetables set in little trays and plates. There were even some PB&P sandwiches. Goddess, it would be an honor, but... Would it be wise to eat the food? Penelope asked. Yes, don't worry. I got it from up here. Try the cucumber salad. I grew them and put it together myself. I'm quite proud of it. My lady, may I ask you a question? Penelope asked, as she carefully took some of the salad into one of the empty plates. And finding a fork, she began to eat slowly. Of course. Go ahead. And don't be so formal. We wouldn't have asked you to stay with us if we didn't want to talk for a while. Right, honey? Persephone leaned over and placed her head briefly on Hades' shoulder. Of course, my love, said Hades, as he kissed her lightly. Um, why are you here? We get so little time to hang out together during the summer. It's rather nice, isn't it? There was a, a rainstorm, and after the summer rain, it always blooms so beautifully here. 
During the storm, there was a massacre. So, at the same time, the land called for the goddess of spring. It also called for the lord of the underworld. And we're taking advantage to have a little bit of an extended vacation, explained Hades. Well, I'm happy to see something good has come of this. Penelope dropped her hand and asked softly, It's beginning again, isn't it? The great game. Some pieces are already on the board, but it's still being set up. It should be some time before we see the players gather. Persephone smiled, poured herself a glass of wine, and began to drink. Um, can I stop it? It caused so much needless death. Death is never needless, said Hades. It's part of the universe. The things that have come need to pass, so that the things that will come after them have room to live. Without death, the current generation would be the only generation. These flowers, they are not the flowers that were here 5,000 years ago. They are different. Some are brighter. Some are stronger. They have found a way to survive in an environment that changed slowly. If these were still the same flowers from 5,000 years ago, they would not be as colorful. Every time a flower dies and grows a new one, it's changed just slightly. Imperceptible, but significant. Because of those tiny changes over time, they become like a kaleidoscope of the original. Hades took a bite of PB and P sandwich before he began to speak again. My family is immortal. And how did they handle that? Instead of making way for new generations, my brother did everything he could to kill any he thought might be a rival. My father tried to eat us so that his immortality could continue. Because of death, the children of humanity are cared for. They are raised lovingly not in fear that they will overthrow their parents, but in hope that someday they will surpass them. But they all died so young. Before their time, it created so much sorrow. No one can determine that except for the fates, and argue with them about when someone should and shouldn't die. It's like trying to argue with a cat, said Persephone. She finished her wine and poured herself another glass. She found a second glass and poured some for Penelope. Before she handed it to her, she took a small sip. Here, have some wine. It's perfect. Of course. You're right. But everyone involved lost so much. Do we have to do it again? Can I stop it? Penelope asked. Then took a sip of the wine from a glass that Persephone had drank from. She immediately felt warmer. She could feel the sweet liquid pour into her, and spread through her body. Fermented grapes smelled like wildflowers, and somehow a touch of sunlight. You could try, said Persephone, but you have to know that your fate cannot be denied. If you were to remove a piece from the game at the right point, you might be able to stall it. That wouldn't stop the players from living their lives. They would still be fated to live a life that challenges them the same way the others have. But perhaps those challenges could center around new events, and not the old, explained Persephone. Remove a piece? asked Penelope. The war is a chain of events. Remove one of the links in the chain, and it may interrupt the rest of them, said Persephone. Which piece? asked Penelope. 
Which piece do you want? Ulysses. Of course you do. And if you find him, take him off the board. Was he involved in this? Did he plan the attack that killed these men? I was told a prisoner was brought in. He came in with a shipment of guns he was going to sell at the market. He was a Confederate officer, and he was arrested. And the next day it rained, and because of the rain, the muskets that were issued to the soldiers could not be fired reliably, but the repeating rifles and the revolvers that were in the shipment of weapons could be. Now, that cart, the weapons, and the prisoner are missing. Was he a Trojan horse? Penelope asked carefully. She didn't want it to be true. She didn't want to have to hunt down Ulysses. Don't worry, little one. He had nothing to do with this, said Persephone. But you know who did? You know whose army this was? In a way. Can you tell me what happened? Wouldn't that be cheating? Aren't you supposed to find out on your own? Isn't that what being a detective is all about? Yes, I imagine it is. Thank you, goddess, for your help. Don't be so sad. I didn't say I wouldn't give you a hint. But there are things about this that you have no control over and cannot do anything about. My brother chose a champion, and he sent that champion with a blessing. There was no army. There was just one soldier. One soldier did all of that? Yes. One lost Confederate soldier, covered in blood and anger. Persephone took a long drink from her glass of wine and poured herself some more. Now... I'd like to spend a little time with my husband, so if you don't mind, Persephone fell over a little into Hades, once again setting her head on his shoulders. Her cheeks were flushed, and her eyes seemed to lack focus. She looks drunk, thought Penelope. Do gods get drunk? If they do, then they must want to get drunk. Penelope realized. Persephone has chosen to be drunk. Before you go, Persephone said, tapping Hades with her hand. Hades looked at her hand, and then to her with a question in his expression. The key, honey. Give me the key. Hades shook his head no. Just give me the key. You won't miss it. It's not like you don't have others. Hades, twisting his face in a not-so-agreeable smirk, pulled from his pocket a silver key. Its head had a three-moon design, a waning and a waxing crescent on either side of a full moon. Persephone took the key and a ribbon from off a sandwich that had been tied up in a handkerchief. She quickly tied the ribbon into a loop and handed it to Penelope. Don't lose that. I'm going to want that back someday. Penelope took the ribbon and wrapped it around her wrist, then tucked the key into her sleeve. Thank you, goddess. I will treasure it. She stopped for a moment and felt the key under her sleeve and asked, Um, what is it open? Everything. Blessed be, my young priestess, Persephone said with a slight bow. Blessed be, my goddess, said Penelope, bowing deeper and longer. Then she stood and walked slowly back to the fort. Halfway there she turned to see her goddess one more time, but she was gone, along with Hades, the blanket, and the food. The flowers that were there were undisturbed. Penelope returned. Some men were clearing the battlements and trying to clean the muskets that had been lying in the mud for six days. Penelope now knew what happened, but for some reason Persephone hadn't wanted to tell her exactly who the soldier was. That was still a mystery for her to solve. 
she found Ajax with two soldiers holding a makeshift battering ram, trying to get into the captain's office. But the door was surprisingly well built. It was built to be the last fallback point, should the fort ever be taken by enemies. Stop! yelled Penelope. The men stopped and watched her carefully as she made her way to them. Why? asked Ajax. Because you're going to break the door. Aren't you going to need that door later? We don't have the key. We can't find the captain. We assume he's locked in the office. Is that how you solve all of your problems? You just beat them with a battering ram? I find it surprisingly effective tactic. Move aside. I'll open it. Penelope had not yet tried the key and was crossing her fingers that it would work as Persephone had promised. She slipped it into her hand from the ribbon and fit it perfectly into the lock. She turned it and the door opened. How did you do that? Magic. Now, if you'll all wait out here for a while, I'll take a look inside. I'd like to at least see one of the bodies before anyone moves it. Penelope looked around the office. She did not see the captain. She opened the adjoining room to find him in the bedroom. He was lying on the bed, dead. There was a hand scythe stuck into his heart. The bed was still made, but his shoes were off and had been placed neatly next to the dresser. His coat was hung up. Somehow he had been caught by surprise while getting ready for bed. Penelope found a discarded dress partially peeking out from under the bed. She picked it up and looked at it. It seemed new, still having some of the creases from it being recently folded. She placed it back where she found it. She went to the desk and sat in the chair. Searching through his drawers, she found his logbook. She began to read. The last entry had been about the rain, and that the fort had been closed for the day. Every soldier had checked in, and were relieved of any duties that would have taken them beyond the walls. The day before, she found what she was looking for. The prisoner, she thought. The logbook said that Commander Jonathan Perdue, a Confederate, had been captured trying to sell weapons in the market. Penelope looked again at what was written on it. One line just said, Prisoner, comma, Purdue, comma, Confederate, period. Purdue, thought Penelope. Lost. Purdue meant lost in French. A lost Confederate soldier, she thought. Persephone had said this was all done by one man, one lost Confederate soldier. Puns, thought Penelope. It's nice to have a goddess with a sense of humor. His execution had been postponed because of the rain, for fear that the guns would not fire if the powder got wet. The guns found in the wagon were being counted and catalogued so that they could be redistributed if they were found to be worthy. There was a holding cell for prisoners, and he would be kept there for one more day. Penelope went to the door and opened it. Okay, you could all come in now. You'll find the captain in his bed. Two of them rushed past to find him. Ajax came in slower. He then followed. Is that a reaper? said one of the soldiers. He was killed with a hand reaper? said one of the others. Ajax entered. He walked to the bedroom, then came back out again. He was carrying the reaper. He stabbed it into the desk. Now we know who did this. This tool was crafted by the Indians. Those savages will pay for this, Ajax fumed. This wasn't any one of the sort. There was no army. There were no natives. That's not what happened here. This reaper says differently. Every man in this fort was killed by a confederate named Purdue. One man did all of this? 
Yes, he did. He had a plan. I don't know why. I'm not exactly sure how. But he came here, most likely hoping to get caught. Counting on the rain, as soon as the soldiers let their guard down, with what they thought would be a day off, he used the weapons he brought in and killed them all. There's no proof of that. Of course there is. He's not here, and neither is the cart. It could have been stolen. Why would they have wanted to steal his body? If they were natives, why would they have wanted to release a soldier? Why wouldn't they have just left him where he was, or killed him as well, but he's gone? What about the Reaper? What about the Reaper? So, he had a Reaper. Lots of people do. Maybe he found it here. Have your men been to any of the native settlements lately? I'll go check the log. No, that won't be necessary, said Ajax. Why should we listen to you? Because that's what I've been ordered to do. You were ordered to drive my carriage. I was ordered to solve this crime, and I have. Preposterous. Do you want to find the man responsible for this? Or do you just want to use this as another excuse to attack native settlements? Do you really need more excuses? Because it doesn't seem like you care to hide your butchery any longer. They attacked us. Did they? I saw the map. The settlement that's closest to here? That's already been wiped out. And if you don't know who had done it yet, how could you have already retaliated? And if they've already been wiped out, how could they have retaliated? No. This has nothing to do with the natives. Penelope looked at the Reaper after she said that. Listen, Captain, I need to find where they've gone, and you're slowing me down. If you insist on not believing the things I say, if you insist on trying to run this investigation yourself, you can go back to the General and you can ask for the job. But if you're going to obey the orders, then you're going to have to support me and help me find this man. How do we find them, then? Great. Now you're asking the right questions. Do we have access to a telegraph? Yes. Then check the telegraph. Make sure it's operational. I'm going to take this office. It's going to take me some time to find Purdue and Mr. Wachowski. It'll be easier to do it from here. This is the captain's office. This is my office. Do you expect me to bunk with the other men? No? Then I'm going to take this office. Have the men remove the bedding and the mattress and see if they can get me new ones. I'm going to write up a report, and you're going to deliver it back to the general. So, for now, under his orders, I'm going to need to take control of this fort. Tell your men they answer to me. You're dismissed. Penelope sat down at the desk. Ajax nearly saluted, then realized what had just happened. He wanted to complain. He wanted to tell her that she wasn't in charge. But those were his orders. And... He would need to follow them. In frustration, he just turned and left the office to complete her commands. Penelope smiled and took the ledger from a drawer she had seen it in earlier. She found a pen, opened the inkwell, and began to write. Six days earlier, Eurystes' father sat on the cot in the small holding cell that the cavalry had put him in. He heard fighting from outside. It had a familiar beat to it. He had lived through so many battles. He had heard the sound of gunfire on so many occasions. His life, he realized, had been dedicated to war. And he knew war when he heard it. But this one sounded familiar. Or maybe he was just hoping. It's Luke, he thought. Somewhere beyond that door his son was fighting to save him.
he imagined that some fathers would be able to recognize the sound of their children by the clicking of their heels as they walked down a hall but he could recognize his son by the rhythm of his gunfire when the door opened his first reaction was fear in the door stood a man covered in blood two rifles on his shoulder two guns in his hands a knife still dripping with blood tucked into his belt he stood in a puddle just inside the door the rain that was there turned red like he was and for a moment eurystheus father feared that death itself had come to find him when that moment had passed his fears were replaced with joy sir you all right said eurystheus luke asked his father well it ain't jesus quick open the door give me a gun how many are left no one i took care of them answered eurystheus as he opened the locks to the cell all of them are you sure yes i checked the place over twice i got em all the entire unit it wasn't a whole unit it was only about thirty they must have lost some and haven't received any reinforcements yet only thirty it's only six sets of five or three sets of ten if you'd like to think of it that way i don't care if it was five sets of six are you suicidal did you want me to save you or not you seem kind of ungrateful no i did not his father thought for a moment he looked at his son his son he thought he realized he had not thought his daughter when his wife was pregnant he had hoped for a son every father does don't they maybe they don't but he had he had in that hope imagined what his son would be like he would have named him jonathan after himself so something of that imagined child was and was not the man who stood before him but the man who stood before him was more than he could have ever hoped for he felt the truth in what he had said he did not want to be saved he would have rather eurysty left him here what you did was foolish and because you managed to pull it off doesn't make it any less foolish i didn't want you to save me next time do not risk your life for mine how pointless would it be for us both to die i'm sorry sir i don't think i can do that luke look at me sir we left the war behind and with it we can leave behind the ruse we no longer have to pretend we are something we are not sir is this about that dress no i want you to stop calling me sir i'm your father you're my son i refuse to be your commander i am not your superior officer i'm just your father eurystheus could not think of what to say stunned he just nodded we need to get the horses and the cart if we can find the supply of guns we had we can still sell them they are this way eurystheus responded when they entered the stable eurystheus found that hector had managed to collect the horses and prepare the cart the small thin child sat on the buckboards and smiled when he saw luke enter the barn who is that asked eurystheus father that's the kid he's coming with us whose kid is he i guess he's ours now you're a mother i ain't nobody's mother it's just he helped me and i can't just leave him here what's his name i don't remember something like edgar hey kid eurystheus called to hector hector smiled at him your name was edgar right 
Hector nodded. Yes. Eurysides turned to his father. Dad, this is Edgar. Eurysides turned to Hector. Edgar, this is my dad. Hector smiled and nodded. I don't think he speaks English. Well, nobody's perfect, Eurysides said and shrugged. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. Except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you.